Well, good morning. May the, may the Lord bless you. And please turn with me to Mark chapter 10. Five senses that the Lord has given us are each a gift. We have the sense of taste and touch and sight and smell and hearing. Uh, each of them help us to access the world that God has put us in. Uh, it would seem that God has something to say about each one of them in spiritual terms as well as we look in the Bible. Uh, Psalm 34 says, To taste and see that God is good. Paul will talk about us being an aroma of Christ to others. There's smell, in a sense. There's two of them. Uh, this morning, we're going to see a situation in which a man does not have sight. He is blind. But he has a type of sight that many around him do not have. And we are going to see what happens when he encounters Jesus. Let's read our passage this morning. This is our last sermon in Mark chapter 10. We've been here for almost a couple months now. Let's pick up in Mark 10, verse 46. And they came to Jericho, and as, was, uh, as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we confess that we are so thankful that you have come by us, Lord. That you came to this world to seek and to save the lost and we have found mercy in you. So we bless you this morning. We pray that you would increase our love for you. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. If you are a child this morning and you would like to draw a picture, you can draw a picture of what you think maybe Jericho, the city, looked like and what it would have looked like for Bartimaeus to be sitting outside waiting for Jesus, waiting in this crowd. As we look through this passage this morning, I think the main call that we have here is to trust and follow our humble Savior. Trust and follow our humble Savior. See the call to trust Jesus and then the call to follow Jesus. Our scene opens up, says here, at Jericho. Uh, Jesus has been on the way to Jerusalem. We've seen that all through Mark chapter 10. Uh, and Jericho, the city of ancient Jericho, is somewhere around 18 miles away from Jerusalem. So they are on the way to Jerusalem and they are drawing pretty close. 
The very next scene in Mark's gospel is going to be the triumphal entry. Uh, That's where Jesus is going to descend down into Jerusalem and people are going to proclaim him as the son of David. That's coming up. So the Passion Week is at hand. Very soon, Jesus is going to be crucified. Now, Jesus knows this. We've already seen now three times that he has told his disciples that he is going to suffer and die. I can't imagine the weight of all of this on Jesus' mind as he is nearing Jerusalem. Also, the, the festival of the Passover is at hand. Jesus is going to be crucified during the Passover. I think that's intentional. Jesus is the picture of the Passover lamb. I have to imagine that Jesus knew that this was the time. This Passover season was the time that these things were going to happen to him. And he goes into Jerusalem. Now, during the time of the Passover, Passover was one of three holidays that all the Jewish men were supposed to come and celebrate in Jerusalem. Uh, normally, the population of Jerusalem was around twenty to 30,000 people at this time. Uh, but when Passover came, it would swell. People would be coming from all over the place. Uh, some estimates say that there would be as many as 150,000 people that flocked to Jerusalem during these times. Uh, so Jesus is in this crowd. You can imagine a traffic jam when hunting season starts or when fishing opener starts. You know, you're just going to run into a bunch of people on the highway. Uh, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and there are lots of people heading to Jerusalem at this same time. Uh, And there are a lot of people who are crowding around Jesus at this time. Uh, You can imagine the kind of tumult that's going on around Jesus. Uh, There's such a brief mention here that they come to Jericho. It doesn't say anything about what they do in Jericho or any of the conversations there. just mentions they came there, and then they're leaving there. Uh, And as Jesus is leaving, there's a large crowd around him. And over the chaos of everything going on that morning, Jesus hears a voice calling out. And that brings us to our next figure in the story. That same morning at Jericho, a man woke up, probably quite early. Uh, He threw what was probably the only cloak he owned around his shoulders to stay warm. And he went to his post where he probably begged day by day for his Provision. Uh, This is likely near the city gate. It says here he's on the way. Uh, He knew that people were heading to Jerusalem for Passover. Uh, He didn't want to miss his chance, I'm sure. This would be a good opportunity. Uh, You know, in in the U.S. here, many charities have an uptick in giving in the Christmas season. A lot of ministries, their, their yearly giving looks like a hockey stick. It kind of goes down through the summer months, and right before Christmas, it comes up at the end. Uh, People are feeling generous often during the Christmas season. Also, there's the the, uh, year-end giving and all that that goes into it. Uh, Perhaps this man was banking on something kind of similar during the Passover season. People are celebrating that God has delivered them from from, uh, bondage to Egypt, and they're celebrating the Passover when God brought them out. Maybe he's hoping for generosity this morning as he's there. And we have to imagine, as we've read this here, that there was extra commotion that morning. And he learns that all this commotion is about Jesus. Literally, in Greek, it's, it is Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, He's 
becomes aware of, of Jesus is here. And when this man, blind Bartimaeus, learns that Jesus is near him, he sets his heart fully on one thing, and that is Jesus. Any desire for alms, any desire for public respectability, all melt away in light of the hope, and yes, the desperation, that Jesus is there and he has an opportunity to meet Jesus. So he cries out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Mark tells us, and Matthew tells us as well, that people start rebuking him. Say, silence, be quiet. Uh, They're trying to suppress him. Uh, He won't be quiet. He just keeps crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Uh, There goes any chance of him getting alms that morning. Now, how much did Bartimaeus know about Jesus? We can see here that at the very least, he knew enough about Jesus to believe that Jesus could do something about his condition. But notice even more here, he calls him the son of David. Uh, The son of David is Christ-like language. I think that Bartimaeus understands that there is something unique about Jesus. Maybe he even understands who Jesus is. He seems to see more with the eyes of faith than those around him who have their natural sight still intact. Now, nobody could have blamed Jesus for having too much on his mind to stop and talk to this blind beggar. In fact, it seems like that's what the crowd expects. The crowd seems to expect that Jesus is too important to stop and give any time to this man. But Jesus heard this man. He must have heard his faith and desperation. To the surprise of everybody, probably including Bartimaeus, Jesus calls for him to come. The, the crowd that's been telling him to shut up, honestly, this is what's going on here, they now turn and they tell him, take heart, be courageous, get up, he's calling you. And so he throws off his cloak, he springs up off the ground, and he goes scrambling through the crowd to get to Jesus. Face to face now, Jesus sees him. But he doesn't see Jesus yet, not with his physical eyes. Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? I think his faith is evident even in his response. He says, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Now Bartimaeus would not have put himself at the center of attention and made such a bold request if he didn't believe that Jesus, the son of David, could do it. He would not have jeopardized his chances at income that morning if he didn't believe that Jesus could help him in a more profound way. Jesus responds, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately, he's able to see. His sight is restored. Jesus heals him. You know, perhaps the first thing that Bartimaeus ever saw in this world was Jesus. His faith in Jesus, the son of David, led to his healing. I think it's safe to infer that his faith also led to his salvation. And so he follows Jesus on the way. This is one of my favorite healing miracles in the Bible, one of my favorite stories in the ministry of Jesus. Uh, But it's more than just a sweet story. What are we to take from it? How should this impact our lives? one of the things I think we should take from this is that we ought to see and trust in Jesus' humble compassion towards us. 
in this account, we see the humility and the compassion of Jesus. Now, Jesus certainly had other things on his mind, uh, but he made time to serve this man. As we saw last week, Jesus had just taught his disciples about humility through service. And here, he is giving them an example in his ministry uh, for them to see. Now, the actions of Jesus are the actions of God. When Jesus acts, God is acting. So what we see in the life and the ministry of Jesus is a revelation of God. And what he does here is consistent with what we see God revealing about himself in the Old Testament. Here's a verse. Psalm 138, verse 6. says, Though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly. Jesus, although he's great, he has time for Bartimaeus. He, he gives his attention to him. We see that consistent with Yahweh, with the Lord in the Old Testament. How about this? Psalm 113, verses 4 through 9. Notice the contrast here. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high, who looks far down on the earth, on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. You see that there? God is great. God is high above everything. And yet, he cares for us. He cares for us in the most tender and painful parts of our lives. God is great. He is greater than our minds are capable of grasping. And yet, he gives thought to us, although we are but dust. Jesus displays this truth about God through his earthly ministry. Jesus is great. He is the Christ. He is the Son of Man. He is the Son of God. And he cares for the sick and the lame and the blind. In humility, Jesus takes the time to serve Bartimaeus. And although Jesus is exalted in glory now, as he has ascended to his Father's right hand, Jesus gives thought to us. Jesus cares for us in every circumstance that weighs us down. The care that Jesus shows here, he has for us. Of course, when I say something like that, the immediate question that comes to the mind for some, and understandably, is this. If he cares for us, why doesn't he have mercy on us in the way he had mercy on Bartimaeus? Why don't I see, if he does care, why don't I see that exactly that way in my life? I don't have an answer to that question for every case, either in my own life or in yours. Often, only God himself knows what he's doing in the moment. But there are truths that God reveals that we've got to store up in our hearts and that we have to hold on to when pain weighs heavy. Here are just three important truths for us. First, I want to say from scriptures that God is holy. Because God is holy, his ways are always right. And they are so often beyond our comprehension. I want to say that again. Because God is holy, his ways 
are always right, and they are so often beyond our comprehension. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, read this way. God is speaking. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now God is not saying here that he is aloof, or that he could not care less about our lives. Rather, this passage is telling us that God transcends the limited scope of our minds. His wisdom is beyond our ability to piece together exhaustively in this life, especially in our limited and fallen standpoint. So God is holy. Next, the scriptures tell us that God is good. Not only are God's ways right and beyond our grasping at times, his ways are good. His ways are good for us. God is good to us even when we don't feel it. For those who are in Christ by faith alone, God's wrath for our sins has been satisfied in Jesus. Because Jesus has taken the wrath that we deserve, the hardships of our life cannot be God's wrath against us. Christ has taken our wrath. The pain and the challenges of our life cannot be God's wrath on us. Romans 8.28 says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. God works out his plans for our good. Doesn't mean it's pleasant all the time, or even often. But his plans are for our good. As his children, through Christ, God's heart towards us is love. And we must look both to his holiness and his love in our suffering. The truth of God's holiness at times can feel like the rubbing alcohol that burns and disinfects our wounds. Coming to grips with God's holiness can be painful. And the goodness of God is the ointment that can soothe and heal those wounds. Last thing I want to say on this topic, uh, there's more that can be said related to why God doesn't immediately step in. I want to say as well that God gives hope. We see that in the scriptures as well. For those in Christ, God will ultimately lift every single burden and heal every disease, ultimately. There are weights that we may carry every day until we leave here. But one day, he will lift every single one of them. When we rise again in a resurrection like Christ's, those burdens will be gone forever. No sickness will remain for us. There will be complete healing for every believer. Our bodies will be fresh again. We will have full energy. On that day, we will experience full and total healing. We may have weights on us now, but on that day they will be gone forever. There is hope for us in that. Now, it is right to pray for healing now. God is able to heal today just as much as he was able to heal on that day. There's no lack of power in God. He invites us to pray for that, and we should. But whether God heals us now or later, we can be confident that he cares for us. The humble compassion that Jesus showed to blind Bartimaeus that morning at Jericho is the same love that he shows to us today. 
God is not too busy to take notice of us. He is not preoccupied with other things such that he's got to ignore us for a while. God is infinite, he is omnipotent, he is omniscient, and he is omnipresent. He knows all things, he has all power, he is everywhere, he's infinite. Uh, He is here with us to do good. In light of all that, we should trust him. We can trust him. He loves us. This story that we see here also informs us uh, in the call to be servants. If we want to model the humility of Christ here, then we're going to need to be servants. And to be servants, it's going to take our time. Jesus had to take some time out to serve blind Bartimaeus. It took him time. It was worth his time. The question for us is, is it worth our time? Is following the example of Jesus in humble service worth our time? There's another thing we need to see in our passage this morning. We'll turn to that now. We've seen the call to trust Jesus, uh, and we're going to now see the call to follow Jesus. After Bartimaeus makes his request, Jesus says to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. Immediately, Bartimaeus can see. He's no longer blind Bartimaeus. Uh, He receives his sight. And the very next thing that he does is follow Jesus. It says here that he follows Jesus on the way. That phrase has occurred in Mark's gospel before. We've seen it in Mark 10.32. I'll read that. Mark 10.32, it says, "And, And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. The word is the same. It's translated differently here. On the way or on the road. It's the same Greek word. It occurs in Mark 9.33 and 10.17. Jesus, again, is on his way to Jerusalem. Ever since he's finished his ministry in Galilee, in Mark's gospel, he has been on the way. And Bartimaeus follows Jesus on the way. On Jesus' way. Notice that Bartimaeus doesn't just try to fit Jesus into his life where he can. Where he's got a little leftover room, he's going to tuck some Jesus into there. That's not Bartimaeus. That's not what he does. He follows Jesus on the way. His following of Jesus radically reshapes his life. Bartimaeus follows Jesus. This is a sure sign that his faith is deeper than just a faith to find healing. He has committed himself entirely to Jesus. The person who comes to saving faith in Jesus today follows the example of Bartimaeus in this. We follow Jesus. After faith comes following. That is the Christian experience. We have seen the call already to follow Jesus in Mark's gospel. We can read that in Mark chapter 8. I'll read it again. Uh, But we'll see that following Jesus is not an easy road. Mark 8, 34, and following, Jesus says, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? It must not have been an easy road for Bartimaeus to follow Jesus on. I was talking with Artina about this this week, and she pointed out the fact that you know he receives his sight probably just to the very next week see Jesus crucified. 
he might have wished he didn't have a site back at that point. Uh, who knows? Perhaps Bartimaeus is one of the more than 500 that Paul talks about uh, to whom the resurrected Christ reveals himself after his resurrection. Some have called Bartimaeus the last disciple, not because he's the last person to ever follow Jesus, but perhaps he's the last person who joins Jesus on the road to Jerusalem. Whatever Bartimaeus got to see with his new sight, we can safely guess that he saw the hardship of following Jesus. And we can safely guess that he saw Jesus faithful to everything that he promised. The call to follow Jesus is fresh for us today. We don't follow Jesus on his way to Jerusalem like Bartimaeus did, but today we do follow Jesus in his mission and in his suffering nonetheless. I don't have to tell you this, but if you go to the store, you will see that the cost of everything has gone up these days. Uh, I am still regularly surprised uh, at how much the price of something will have gone up that I am used to paying something less for. Uh, the cost of everything is going up today. And so is the cost of following Jesus, though inflation is not the reason for that. It may cost us more to follow Jesus in our day than it costed our grandparents. Uh, and it may cost our children even more yet. But do you know what? Jesus is worth it. And we want to help our children see that Jesus is worth it. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46, Jesus tells two parables. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Jesus is worth selling everything for. The next parable, And the kingdom of heaven, again the kingdom of heaven, is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Jesus is worth it all. And Bartimaeus knew that. He cried out to Jesus, the son of David, to have mercy on him. And in finding mercy, he followed him. All of us who have trusted in Jesus, the son of David, have found mercy in him. And we follow him. He was worth it all to Bartimaeus, and he is worth everything to us as well. We want to be a people who are busy about the things that Christ has called us to. Matthew ends his gospel in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We want to be about making disciples in our day. And we want to hold on to the promise that he has given, that he is with us always to the end of the age. In the weeks ahead, we're going to be entering into the Christmas season, and we're going to be considering the humility of Jesus. In this next month, we'll consider the humility of Jesus and the humility he calls us to. I want to ask the men to prepare for communion and Maggie to come and play. Uh, in a moment, we're going to take communion together. Joe's going to lead us in a bit. Uh, here at Berean, we practice what is called an open